Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everyone. It is Friday, March 19th, 2021. And today I want to wrap up, I guess you could say it's a three-part series that uh, just kind of came together over these last few podcasts, where first I spoke about the importance of faith, and particularly the Christian faith, and especially the Catholic Church as an institution, was instrumental in the rise of science, to the point where we can say without faith there would be no science because of the view of the world and the universe through the lens of the Christian faith that rose to the disposition of exploring God's creation, and that led to the scientific movement. The second, I talked about how the Christian faith led to greater freedom in the world and ultimately an abolition of slavery. And people may ask, well, how could you possibly say that, especially in light of the fact that this country was founded on slavery? And I like to correct that and tell them, no, this country was not founded on slavery. It was founded with slavery. What this country was founded on is faith. And because it was founded on faith, specifically the Christian faith, It was therefore founded on freedom and liberty, and because of that, we were able to eventually participate in the rigorous debate that was already going on in Western civilization with regard to the morality of slavery, but also abolish slavery altogether in the United States as well, which is something that would lead me to the topic for this week, which is, just as we would not have science without faith, we would not have freedom without faith. I believe very firmly that without faith, there would be no country. That is the United States and all that it's come to stand for and the leadership it has brought to the world. We would not have that if this country was not founded on faith and without faith, there would be no country. Now, again, there you might say, well, wait a minute, you can't say that because in this country we believe in the separation of church and state and you would be right. But an atheistic interpretation is not how we approach that principle of the separation of church and state. Because when that phrase was first coined, both philosophically in the realms of political philosophy, as well as by the founding fathers, specifically Thomas Jefferson, separation of church and state does not mean a protection of the state from the church, but rather a protection of the church from the state and the encroachment of the state on matters of faith and religion. But this country was established on freedom to practice one's faith, not just in the privacy of one's home, but in the public square, and to be the principles whereby we vote, whereby we live, and whereby our leaders lead, not to impose a state church, but to maintain a value system that can ensure the future of this country. And in fact, this country was founded on faith, not as a church-state relationship, but certainly the principles of faith were part of the fabric of our founding. And one thing I notice nowadays, especially when it comes to the comparison of revolutions, faith is a very important part of what makes the American Revolution, I believe, the superior revolution. And conventional wisdom would disagree with me on that because conventional wisdom will say, well, the French Revolution was the superior revolution. I will argue that till doomsday because it was not the superior revolution, nor could it ever be the superior revolution if for no other reason that the nation of France already existed and had existed for hundreds and hundreds of years when the French Revolution took place, whereas the United States was a brand new country forming itself. Its revolution led to a new nation, 
whereas the French Revolution involved the reorganization of a nation that already existed and had existed for hundreds of years. No less revolutionary, but a new nation was not being founded, but rather an old nation was being reorganized on certain ideals, which on the one hand, they would say, well, the French Revolution was superior because of its superior ideals of freedom and fraternity and rights. And again, you would agree if not for the result of the French Revolution. You look at how the French Revolution turned out, and one cannot deny that perhaps these ideals were a bit of an overreach. Because when there were those who at least were suspected, if not outright guilty, of disagreeing with the principles of the revolution, what was the result? The result was the great terror. They so much wanted to purge the country of pre-revolutionary ideals that it led to the reign of terror that eventually consumed the very fathers of the French Revolution. Whereas the ideals of the United States were such that it did not lead to a great terror. Yes, it led to war, but it never reached a point like in France where Frenchmen were killing fellow Frenchmen and were being killed by fellow Frenchmen. In the United States, when the Articles of Confederation, the first attempt at organized government, didn't work out, it did not result in Americans killing Americans. But rather, it resulted in the Constitutional Convention in which another attempt was made, and we now have a Constitution that has been with us for over 200 years. But the thing I believe to be the key factor in why the American Revolution is the superior revolution to the French Revolution is because, let's face it, both revolutions were based on Enlightenment principles. However, the French Revolution was based on atheistic Enlightenment principles. The American Revolution was based on Enlightenment principles that included and had a tremendous respect for faith and acknowledged the existence of God. In the French Revolution, faith, the church, and the existence of God were not acknowledged. The church was among those that the revolution was fighting against. But eventually something had to fill that vacuum, and what filled that vacuum was the violence of the reign of terror. Whereas in the United States, religion and faith and the existence of God was acknowledged by the founding fathers even though they had varying degrees of faith. Some no faith at all, others very strong. One of them was Catholic. Virtually all of them were Christian. But they acknowledged in the founding documents that faith had to be a part of the fabric of this new nation. And the fact that it was a new nation that was being established in this revolution, that the ideals did not overreach to the point that Americans were killing Americans, and the fact that religion was a part of the founding of this country that is what made the American Revolution the superior revolution, and without the acknowledgement of faith, there would be no United States. Now, with regard to the freedom of religion, that is something that is obviously very important in this country, because prior to 1776, it was understood in the colonies that the government could curb or forbid any practice or activity that was not in conformity with the religion approved by the government. But even when you go before the American Revolution, how many colonies were founded in order to ensure freedom of religion and the practice of religion? Maryland was established for Catholics. Pennsylvania was established for Quakers. Massachusetts was established for Puritans. 
and they were organized in different ways, but at least three of those colonies were established with a vision of providing for freedom of religion. And you can't ignore at least those three colonies among the 13 that originated the United States. But prior to 1776, it was understood that the government could curb or forbid any practice or activity that was not in conformity with the religion approved by the government. At the nation's founding, the understanding is that the government will take no action to impose or forbid the practice of religion. Again, the exact opposite of what we had prior to 1776. The government is not going to be involved in forbidding or prohibiting the practice of a religion. People had freedom of religion. Today, however, the understanding of that is completely skewed. Whereas before 1776, the government could dictate what religion you practiced. Today, the demand is that the government intervenes to forbid religious inclusion and influence in the public square. So here again, the government is involved, whereas at the nation's founding, the government was to stay out of religious matters. And that is the principle of separation of church and state. The government stays out of religion. And we've kind of lost sight of that with uh, the visions of atheism today and an atheistic interpretation of the separation of church and state. Now, religious liberty in this country is still not absolute. We have the free exercise of religion. It also means freedom of conscience. In other words, we're not going to be forced to do something that is against our own conscience. We see that in conflict today, but that was a founding principle. And that all persons are free to worship God, but also free to follow the laws of their faith, the laws of God, as they believe it, outside of worship. Today you hear mostly that religion is something you practice privately, in the privacy of your home or in the church. But that's not the understanding of our founders with regard to religious liberty. People are free to practice, to worship in their religion, but also to follow the precepts of their faith outside of church worship, in their public life outside of church. But it also had its limits and qualifications, because if we used our religion as an excuse to disturb the peace, then obviously... That would not be permitted. We couldn't use our freedom to impose upon the freedoms of others. No one has a right to kill the infidel. There's no exception to the laws protecting persons and properties. We have a right to exercise our freedoms, but not at the expense of someone else's freedoms. Nor do they have a right to exercise theirs at the expense of ours. The Founding Fathers expressed that. George Washington admired the Quakers. But in a letter to an annual meeting of Quakers, he did express disapproval with them because, as they are pacifists, he felt they still needed to fulfill a duty in protecting freedom by defending this nation. So, yes, he believed in freedom of religion, but one still has to carry out one's duty to the country. But we see it especially in the founding documents. You cannot say this nation was founded on atheism once you've looked at the founding documents of the United States. And, of course, the first and foremost among them is the Declaration of Independence. Now, the Declaration can be divided into a number of sections. We've got the preamble, the opening, the statement of principles, then there's the list of grievances against King George, including past petitions of redress and past calls for justice, and then the final Declaration of Independence. Now, modern progressivism would say that the Declaration of Independence is outdated. For example, President Woodrow Wilson said that you take out the beginning and the ending of the Declaration and all you have is a list of grievances which no longer apply today. 
Now, I would agree with him on that, but I would agree with him on the reverse. Don't take out the beginning and the end. Take out the list of grievances. Keep the beginning at the end. Don't get me wrong. Keep the entire Declaration of Independence, but let's follow his advice, but in the reverse. Take out the list of grievances against King George, but what are you left with when you take out the list of grievances? You're left with the heart and soul of the Declaration of Independence and the founding of our country in the beginning and the end that progressives like Woodrow Wilson want to take out. So what do we have in the preamble? Find it and read it. In the preamble, a reference is made to the laws of nature and of nature's God. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Right there in that first very run-on but very complex sentence, we are entitled to a station in the world to dissolve the political bands that oppress us and to establish something new because the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle us. There's an acknowledgement of natural law and the God who created natural law. You go forward in the statement of principles in the Declaration of Independence that begins with the line, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And what are these truths? I always like to say when reading this part, look for the word that. Each truth starts with the word that. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So these are rights given to us by God. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, rights given to us by God. Governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And finally, that... When any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people, again, rights endowed by their creator, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, to paraphrase, that will do the job of protecting our God-given rights. So again, when it comes to rights, the whole understanding of rights in this country, modern progressivism and people who have no knowledge of this nation's founding would say rights are granted by government. But the founding of this country insisted and emphasized the understanding that rights are given not by government, but by God. And the government's job is to protect those rights, not dictate them or take them away. And this is already in the second section of the Declaration of Independence. When we get to the final declaration, again, we see how this country was founded on faith. And without faith, there would be no country with the principles on which it was founded. The declaration toward the end goes on. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. Again, another mouthful, declaring that they are independent states, but they are appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of their intentions. They're not appealing to the mercy of King George III. They are representing the people and saying, we appeal to God in our cause. That's not an atheistic statement. This is not an atheistic document. 
and the Declaration of Independence concludes, for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Again, a reference to a supreme being who gives us rights that government is supposed to protect, and we are calling on the protection of that supreme being, that God, for justification and protection in this revolution, in the founding of this nation. So we have in the Declaration of Independence, in the part that progressives want to remove in order to justify calling our declaration outdated, the very parts that demonstrate that this nation was founded on faith. Not to have a state church, but acknowledging that the vast majority of its citizens are people of faith, and that needs to be the principle on which this nation is founded, because without faith there is no freedom, and without freedom there is no country that can claim any kind of freedom. So in the preamble, we have a reference to the law of nature and nature's God. In the statement of principles, we have rights endowed by their creator, and in the final declaration, there is a reference that appeals to the supreme judge of the world, and with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. No one can say that this country was founded on atheistic principles the way the French Revolution was. But when the French Revolution tried to do away with all sense of faith and religion, something had to fill that gap, and violence filled that gap. The bloodshed of the reign of terror filled that gap that consumed the very fathers of the French Revolution. Now, within that same founding generation, we see founders like Thomas Jefferson drafting the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom in 1777, just a year after the Declaration of Independence, enacted into law by the legislature of the state of Virginia in 1786, which disestablishes a state church, in this particular case, the Church of England, but guaranteed freedom for all religious faiths and became a notable precursor to the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment of the Constitution. But the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom states, Almighty God hath created the mind free. How many laws do you think today, state or federal, make an open reference to God? Almighty God hath created the mind free. And it goes on to say, the impious presumption of legislators and rulers, civil as well as ecclesiastical, who being themselves but fallible and uninspired men, have assumed dominion over the faith of others, setting up their own opinions and modes of thinking as the only true and infallible, and as such endeavoring to impose them on others, hath established and maintained false religions over the greatest part of the world and through all time. Basically, he's calling politicians, and even religious leaders who put their own principles as things that should be considered true and infallible are establishing a false religion. To compel a man, it goes on to say, to compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagation of opinions which he disbelieves is sinful and tyrannical. To force a person of faith to contribute or support something that as a matter of faith he or she believes is sinful, is nothing more than tyranny. So again, the principle of separation of church and state is to keep the government out of the church. 
and the government out of the consciences of its citizens. And the statute says, All men shall be free to profess and by arrangement to maintain their opinions on matters of religion, and that the same shall in no wise diminish or enlarge or affect their civil capacity on their eligibility to serve the common good as leaders and as government officials. And it states that the rights hereby asserted, but again, what rights? The religious rights are of the natural rights of mankind. The statute of religious freedom in the state of Virginia declares that religious freedom is a natural right, which coincides with the portion of the declaration that makes reference to the laws of nature and of nature's God that government is there to protect. And religious freedom is one of those rights that we are entitled to by the laws of nature and of nature's God. And the government's job is to protect those rights. But not only that, once the United States was firmly established, and as yet under the Articles of Confederation, it obtained its first territories, which was the Northwest Territory. And in organizing the Northwest Territory, Congress, under the Articles of Confederation, passed what was called the Northwest Ordinance. And this is important because it served as a blueprint for how future territories obtained by the United States would be organized. And throughout that document, this is still the founding generation of this country, throughout that document, religious liberty is important. And you'll see it's just as important as civil liberty. For the extending the fundamental principles of civil and religious liberty, which form the basis whereupon these republics, their laws and constitutions are erected, to fix and establish those principles as the basis of all laws, constitutions, and governments, which forever hereafter shall be formed in the said territory. Again, I can stop there. This is from section 13 of the Northwest Ordinance. Civil and religious liberty form the basis of all constitutions and all laws and governments in that territory. Religion is not excluded among the civil liberties of the people. Northwest Ordinance also states, No person demeaning himself in a peaceable and orderly manner shall ever be molested on account of his mode of worship or religious sentiments in the territories. Provided they're not disrupting the rights of other people, no person will be bothered or harassed or persecuted because of their mode of worship or their religion. And here's an interesting part of the Northwest Ordinance, Article 3. Religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. So they want schools to be encouraged, means of education to be encouraged. For what? Note the order. Religion, morality, and knowledge. Try saying that to the public schools today. This is the founding generation. Religion and faith is important because it forms a moral basis upon which the people can go forward as a nation and ensure the future of liberty and the stability of their society. Without faith and morality, you have moral chaos. With moral chaos, you will have social chaos. And there's no way that a nation can survive on that. And even the Constitution of the United States, it ensures that one's faith and religion will not be affected, nor will anyone's service as a leader in this country or a government official be affected 
on account of someone's religion. It's called the No Religious Test Clause, which we've heard reference made recently with the nominees to the court of the United States. But in Article 6, Clause 3, it reads, The senators and representatives before mentioned, earlier in the Constitution, and the members of the several state legislatures and all executive and judicial officers, both of the United States and of the several states, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. But no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. So, all government officials shall be required to take an oath of loyalty to the Constitution, but they will not be required to forsake their faith. They wanted people to be loyal to the Constitution, but they also wanted them to be loyal to the principles of their faith. No religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Two loyalties was desired, loyalty to their oath to the Constitution and loyalty to the religion. And that's written into the Constitution itself. And then, of course, we have the First Amendment. We always love to talk about our freedoms under the First Amendment. And when nowadays people talk about their First Amendment rights, what are they usually talking about? They're talking about freedom of speech and especially freedom of the press. I mean, when the White House suspends one reporter out of how many dozens among the White House press corps and how many thousands in the entire United States, one reporter is suspended, all the wagons are circled declaring a violation of the First Amendment. But how often do we hear people defending people's freedom of speech in this era of political correctness? But even before the press and even before speech, the first freedom in our Bill of Rights is the freedom of religion. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Then it goes on to say, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The first of those freedoms is freedom of religion, and it's a two-part freedom. The Establishment Clause forbidding the government, not the people, the government from establishing a state religion, and the Free Exercise Clause prohibiting the government from hindering the free exercise of one's religion. And this is from the very beginning, tacked onto the Constitution as a condition for many states to ratify the Constitution. Freedom of religion is the first of those freedoms. Why? Not out of courtesy, and certainly not as a random placement in the First Amendment. We say that today, freedom of religion means you can practice it in the privacy of the church or in the privacy of the home. Well, what if we applied that to all the other freedoms of the First Amendment? You can exercise free speech, but only in church and in the privacy of the home. You can exercise free press, but only in the church and the privacy of the home. You can exercise free assembly, but only in the church and in the privacy of the home. You can certainly petition the government, but only in the privacy of the church and in the privacy of the home doesn't make any sense with all those other freedoms, and yet we always apply that to freedom of religion. Freedom of religion should be the most public of our rights. Again, not to impose a state church, that's what's prohibited in the First Amendment. 
but free to exercise that religion, including how we vote, how we live, and how our leaders govern. Government officials are not there to say we don't care about the will of God. They should be deeply concerned about it in how they govern. They shouldn't say we don't care about the will of God to a group of people who are very deep in their faith and whom they claim at least to represent. They should protect, acknowledge, and respect freedom of religion in this country because without faith there would be no country. And it's in a very famous letter to the annual meeting of Quakers that George Washington states that religion is important and, quote, the laws should always be extensively accommodated to them. Here's the full quote. In my opinion, the conscious scruples of all men should be treated with great delicacy and tenderness, and it is my wish and desire that the laws may always be extensively accommodated to them. Laws should not impose upon people's conscience. Laws should be accommodating to them. Because we have freedom of religion that the government needs to stay out of. And then, of course, there's that telltale phrase, the separation of church and state, which Thomas Jefferson coined, at least in writing, to the Danbury Baptist Church, in which he says, Religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, and he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship. That the legislative powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. And because of that, he says, I contemplate with sovereign reverence the act of the whole American people, which declared that their legislatures should... Then he quotes the First Amendment. Make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Folks, separation of church and state is not meant to protect the state from the church. It's meant to protect the church from the state because it is faith that this country was founded on, not slavery, but faith. And it was because of that faith that this country was founded on freedom. And because it was founded on faith and freedom, slavery was eventually abolished. And we continue to look to ways to ensure greater sense of freedom without the imposition of government, freedom for the people of this country. And so we have to acknowledge the religious principles that contributed very heavily to the founding of this country. Because I've said it before, I'll say it again. Without faith, there would be no country as we know it here in the United States of America. So those are my thoughts for this day. I hope I made you interested in reading these founding documents because they are very important, not just with regard to our other rights, but especially with regard to our freedom of religion. Because I believe very firmly that if ever our freedom of religion falls in this country, our other freedoms will not be long in falling, or it will mean they have already fallen. Freedom of religion is the first line of defense in protecting our other rights, or it will be the last holdout. So let's learn our history, let's read our Constitution, and as people of faith, or even people who are atheist, recognize the importance of faith in this country, because without faith, there would be no country. So take care, and look forward to being with you again soon. Thank you.